Good morning. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. We're so thankful to have you with us if you're visiting us this morning. Uh, it's good to be gathered together again as God's people to hear him uh, speak to us through his word, to sing, to pray, and to rejoice in the life that we have in Christ. Just a few announcements before we get started. Um, I want to just, quick note, I forgot to send the reminder email. We do have youth group today. Uh, at the uh, church office space. So love for you to join us uh, after church at 11, and there's gonna be Thai lunch. So come and, come and get lunch. Uh, a few other announcements. Uh, in the life of the church, this week we have Kids Week that is starting on Monday, uh, starting at t from 10 to 11.30 over at Gross Park. We love for you to join us there. Uh, Melinda has a great series talking about journeying together in our faith. Uh, so we'd love for the kids to be able to join um, during that time. Also in July, uh, our neighborhood, Lincoln Square, has a festival called Square Roots. And our church traditionally has a booth over there where in the kids zone where we have different uh, crafts for the kids who come up to the booth uh, where we serve water and we get to know our neighbors uh, and welcome them and uh, get to connect with uh, neighbors uh, from across uh, the neighborhood and the city. Uh, so if you, what we need though is we need volunteers. So if, uh, to man the booth for uh, something from about two hours. So I think it goes from 12 to six. So there's a few slots that we have that we still need to get filled. So if you feel free, reach out to Tommy or Rob and they can tell you more about how to sign up and how to get um, and serve in that way. And then lastly, we have a cookout on July 13th at 6.30, I believe. Uh, you can check on the back of our bulletin uh, at the Greco's house. So our church often holds uh, church cookouts uh, in the summer, and we're uh, just a time to gather together to enjoy good food and, and fellowship. Um, one last note, uh, Chad is away this summer on sabbatical, uh, so if you are in need, if anything comes up in your life and there's any way that the church or the pastors can serve you, please feel free to reach out to Pastor Brian or myself. Well, as we gather together, let's take a moment of quiet as we come to the Lord and to his presence. morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 6. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together. me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? 
Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my prayer. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment.
Well, at this time, we want as a church to recognize uh, our graduating seniors who are, who are graduating high school, who have finished that stage and, and life and chapter. Uh, and we wanna celebrate that with them. And our, our senior this year, our only senior is Colum McNally. So I'll go ahead and invite Colum to come on up. In the life of the church, obviously baptism, first communions, uh, confirmation. Feel free to come up here, Colm. Those are significant in, in our lives and our spiritual growth. But we also just want to acknowledge that uh, as kids in our church grow in their faith, as they call Christ their own, uh, there's a change that's happening. They are becoming adults. They are going to go off and make decisions about vocation and life and where they're going to live. And we just want to celebrate this change with you, Colm. And um, when I first got here, I think you were a freshman. Yeah, you were a freshman. So uh, I've really enjoyed the opportunity to serve Colm as his youth pastor, to grow with him, uh, to talk about faith and life. Um, and just to see the sort of person that Colm has become. Colm hasn't just been in the church, Colm has served our church. You would often see Colm singing uh, with our worship team. You often see Colm reading scripture for us, probably one of our best ones too. So, um, so we're thankful, Colm, and whether you are with us for many more years or whether God takes you to new places, uh, we want you to know that you are loved um, by us and this community, uh, and we are thankful for the ways in which you have served our community. So let me pray for Colm, and then I'm going to invite us to say a congregational blessing. Gracious, merciful God, Lord, we thank you for the call that you have placed on our brother Colm, for the ways in which we have gotten to see Colm grow both as a person, as a brother, as a friend, but also as a beloved child of God, as a follower of Christ. Lord, we thank you for the ways in which Colum has served our church here, and through music, and through scripture reading, and through friendship. Lord, we, we give you praise for the witness that Colum was and still continues to be in our community around us, his time at Lane Tech in particular. And Lord, we ask that you would go with Colm as he goes to the University of Illinois in Chicago, UIC. Lord God, we ask that you would be with him in his studies, that you would direct him and move him. And Lord, we pray that in the times that he feels discouraged in his life, that you would remind him of your love, of your grace that is found in Christ Jesus. Lord, we, we ask that you would be uh, with Colm and that you would strengthen him during this season in his life. And Lord, we, we as a church ask that you would give us wisdom and, and eyes to see Colm well, that we reach out, that we befriend him, that we continue to see him as our brother. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I forgot to mention before we do the blessing, Colm's going to the University of Illinois in Chicago, and you're going to be and he's going to be studying mathematics as well as doing some uh, choir on the side. So we're we're excited to see how God directs your life, Colm. I I want to ask everybody to stand with me as we say this blessing over Colm. Colm, we give thanks for you 
and the call of faith you have received in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you continue to know the boundless love of God and rest in his forgiveness and grace alone. May you live with boldness, remembering the promise that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And may you seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before God, loving your neighbor as yourself. And may we, the church, continue to be a haven of love and grace that encourages and builds you up in faith. To the glory of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a gift for Colum. We usually give a, a book uh, for our graduating seniors. And Colum, because you're the only one, you get to have two books. <laughs> so... We have a book uh, called Rejoicing in Christ. Uh, it's a wonderful kind of theological reflection, a little bit for your mind, and then a great uh, devotion, which is a recommendation by Pastor Chad, uh, something for your heart. So call him. God bless you. as uh, God has gathered us and called us to worship and shown us his goodness and his grace in Christ, let us take a moment to come to God in prayer together. Gracious and almighty God, it is in you that we live and we move and we have our being. 
We ascribe to you alone, O Lord, all glory, honor, and praise this morning as we profess that your goodness and loving kindness has brought us here today. By your spirit and by the work of Christ, you have gathered us here to remember your great works of old, to expect your care for us in the present, and to look forward to the great works that you will do in our lives in the future, individually and as the church here at LSPC. We give you thanks, O Lord, for your covenant faithfulness that you have shown us, and we ask, God, that you would equip us to live faithfully to you as you have been faithful to us. Heavenly Father, as our call to worship described this morning, the reality is that many of us come gathered this morning with pains and anguish. We come here this morning uh, weary from this past week. Lord, we come with troubles and relationships. We come uh, with troubles in our workplaces and with our own sins and with our own struggles. And Lord God, we, we ask that you would le uh, lend your ear to us, Lord, that you would lead us and please be gracious to us. Please deliver us, O Lord, and restore us to yourself for the sake of your steadfast love and for our good. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would equip us to be a humble people who do justice, who love mercy, and love our neighbors as ourselves. Your great grace, Lord God, will forever be greater than all of our sin and our mistakes, and we cling to the words of Christ in which he tells us that he came not for the healthy, not for the righteous, but for the sick, for those who recognize their need for him. So this morning, Heavenly Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit that you have given to us, that you would empower us to live lives that are pleasing to you as we cling to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, at this time, the children's worship is available to meet Melinda at the, the back door right there. Well, we now enter into our time of confession and assurance. This is a time where we can bring our, our sin and our need before God and recognize our need for his grace and for his reconciliation. We'll do this together corporately and also have a time of silent personal confession. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silent, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer their prayers to you.
Let us take a moment of silent, personal confession. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you and we thank you for your faithfulness and for the mercy that you have shown us in Christ. We acknowledge that there is nothing in our hands that we bring, but it is simply to your cross, Jesus Christ, that we cling to you by your grace. We give you thanks. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would all stand with me, we will now read our words of assurance from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 together. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As God has welcomed us and greeted us in Christ, let us take a moment to welcome and greet those around us.
be seated. Our New Testament lesson today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. <clears throat> For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And the gospel reading is from John chapter 12, verses 27 through 36. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Robin, for reading our scripture this morning. Well, last week, Pastor Brian uh, started a series for us in the book of Psalms. And oftentimes, the Psalms have been seen and have been the prayer book of God's people. These Psalms emerge from the life of Israel, from, from the people of, of David and Moses, from the people in exile. These songs praise God for the great work that he has done and accomplished in their lives, freeing them from slavery and sin. These works lament and grieve their own brokenness, their own failures. And what we see from the Psalms and how the church has understood the Psalms is that it is our prayer book too. God has given his people these prayers to pray 
And oftentimes the church has understood the Psalms as the school of prayer. It's the place where we go to learn how to pray. Not teaching us certain step-by-step models of how to do it, but allowing the Psalms to get into our bones. Allowing the Psalms to shape and form our words and our thoughts and how we pray and interact with one another and with God. I love how Pastor Brian described it in his sermon last week. He described the Psalms as mirroring our emotional and spiritual experience and giving us language to use in our prayers. So as we gather together again, I'd like to invite us to look at Psalm 6. This is a, a prayer of lament. It's, a, so it's considered one of David's psalms. It's attributed to him. And it, it comes from his own experience, his personal experience. It's often known as an individual lament. So let me, pray, let me read this for us, and then we'll jump in. To the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Shemith, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary from my mourning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Let me pray. Gracious, merciful God, Lord, we thank you for the Psalms. We thank you for this Psalm. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, that you would meet us wherever we find ourselves this morning. And that you would be with the meditation of all of our hearts gathered here in the words of my mouth. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, one night I was at the hospital, not there as a patient. I was working there as a chaplain. And I had to do these overnight shifts, which for the most part were okay but there was always the dread of the pager or the phone ringing. And right before I was about to close my eyes and I was feeling the heaviness of the sleep coming over me, the phone rang from the ICU. Initially, when I see something from the ICU, I think a potential stroke, a heart attack, a crisis, But the nurse told me that there was a patient, a man, a 70-year-old man, who could not sleep and wanted to talk to the chaplain. At first I thought to myself, well, at 2 o'clock in the morning, he wants to talk to the chaplain. (laughs) But I pulled myself out of the bed, 
and I went to speak with him. And this has happened multiple times, and usually someone's just looking for a, a prayer, just a quiet word, just a listening ear. But for this gentleman, he had a lot on his mind and his heart. In the quiet of the hospital room, his life was flooding back over him again. He would describe himself as successful in the eyes of the world, and yet at the same time, he felt empty, isolated, and particularly from his family. And he was grieving the lost time that he had with them. This was a moment of a partial confession, a partial theological inquiry, wondering where God was in his life. He brought up questions, will God forgive me? Is my health failing and my physical suffering a result of what I've done? Has God abandoned me? Will God always be angry and disappointed with me? Will this grief that I have this evening ever go away? Because it has lingered all my life. And the irony of this is, even though our circumstances were different, as he was asking these questions, and I was slowly waking from my slumber, I too had similar questions. The grief and the sorrow and the pain that I've not only witnessed over that last year as serving as a chaplain, but also within my own life. Will this pain ever go away? Will my feelings and my circumstances always be what they are now? And we found each other in that moment, not needing a theological conversation, but needing an open and honest conversation with God and with one another. We needed prayer in this moment. I open with this illustration, this, this, this experience that I had with this gentleman. Because in that moment, the sort of prayers that we needed were laments. Laments are these, these open and honest prayers that God's people have been praying century after century, describing their grief and their pain and their loss. Now, for many of us, we might think of our prayer life, and oftentimes we go to God in our time of need or a time of crisis. But sometimes we carry grief with us. We don't always allow God and others to meet us in those places. It's too tender. It's too real. And yet the Psalms are filled with these prayers of grief, prayers of lament. It depends on how you categorize laments, but biblical scholars will say roughly about half of the Psalms, whether fully or partially, have laments whether individual laments or corporate laments. And these laments, they're not just God's people complaining to him, lashing out, where are you, complaining about what you're doing in the world. They're deeper than that. Laments are praises, and they're praises appealing to God's character, appealing to a God who is righteous, to a God who is just, to one who has revealed himself as merciful, to one who has revealed himself as committed to his promises. And these laments are where grief and sorrow and pain 
intersect the reality that God is sovereign, that God is faithful to us. The laments allow us to hold these things together. They allow us to hold our grief and our sorrow and our distress with a God who is sovereign and who is loving and who is with us. So as we look at Psalm 6, I, I want us to consider how this psalm invites us to lament. This, this lament does it, I think, in three ways, and we'll spend the rest of the time looking at it. To lament invites us to acknowledge, first, our distress and suffering, to acknowledge it. To lament is to invite us to ask for our distress and suffering to end. And lastly, to, to lament, as Psalm 6 asks us to do, is to ultimately trust God will answer our cries and our distress when we pray to him. So let us look at this first one. Lament invites us to acknowledge our distress and suffering. Psalm 6 is often grouped together with a series of psalms known as the repentant psalms or psalms of confession, which plea out for God's mercy in the midst of our wrongdoing, in the midst of our sin. One of the best known is Psalm 51, which is often associated with David's adultery with Bathsheba and his repentance after being confronted by the prophet Nathan. The early church often accustomed these, the singing of these psalms on throughout Lent, or on Ash Wednesday in particular, marking this entrance into a season of repentance and lament, a season of grief and sorrow. Psalm 6 is often also called a psalm of sickness. We, we heard it in the, the reading, these references to our bones, the anguishing of our bones, going down into the depths of Sheol, the depths of death. Psalms like ours this morning may have been written by individuals, by kings. This one in particular is associated with David. We don't exactly know the, his circumstances, but David went through a lot in his life, whether running from Saul, uh, who wanted to kill him, or the rebellion of his son Absalom, or just even David's own sin and brokenness and grief. Whatever the circumstances may be, whether an individual prayer or the God's people taking this prayer for themselves and praying it on their own behalf, this psalm seems to reflect a prayer of spiritual grief. Whether grief over our own sins or our wrongdoing, grief with our circumstances, our physical ailments, whether it's emotional distress, depression, anxiety, fear, we are to, invited to acknowledge and to name our distress to God, to name our grief, to name our sorrows. In the first seven verses, David is described in great distress. His whole person, his body, his mind, his soul is in anguish, anguish, and he's languishing. He's falling apart at the seams. How is this distress and suffering described? Well, it's described in a few ways. David describes it, one, in, in the sense that God disapproves of him in some way. 
David prays that God would not rebuke him or discipline him. Whatever David's circumstances may have been, whether it was truly his fault or not, his experience is one that God has turned from him. He feels God's distance as he prays this prayer. The reality is is that David feels isolation in the midst of his grief, in the midst of his sorrow. And this isolation sinks down to his very bones. When the Psalms refer to the bones, it's not just our physical bones, but it's sinking down to the very heart of who we are, our very soul. This language invites us to consider our own isolation, our own places of distance. Maybe you have walked into this room and you're hoping that God will show up in some way, that he won't be too far away from you. Maybe hoping that if you say the right words or think the right thoughts, then maybe God will turn back. Maybe others of us have walked into this room just feeling our loneliness. Loneliness and separation from others. This past week I was able to see my mom for the first time actually in three years physically in person. And it was a joyful moment and I was thankful for it. But I was also touched by the grief of that distance and of that isolation. Of not seeing her for so long it sunk down into my soul maybe it's with folks at our workplace maybe we feel out of place or others have made us to feel out of place this isolation and this grief can become a spiral The more isolated we feel, the more grief, and the more grief that we feel, the more that we feel like we have to pull away from others, from community. And this lament and this distress that the psalmist that David is describing here leads him to weariness. He feels weariness in his body. He feels it in his soul. Getting lost in the grief is making his physical body feel weary. We see David pray. He says this in the psalm, I am weary from my mourning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of my foes. This grief that David is describing is literally sucking the life out of him. It's sucking the energy out of him. Maybe for some of us, we feel that in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of our worries. It consumes our thoughts. It consumes the energy that we have. Maybe it's depression, this heavy blanket that just seems to weigh us down. And we often experience this and feel this in the quiet of the night. When the activities are done, when we've turned off the shows, the Netflix, when we turn off the music, when the kids are in bed and we're lying there and it's silent and all we're left with is our thoughts running through our mind, 
the grief, the pain, the sorrow. One commentator said this, for most it is a long watch of the night since silence and loneliness increases and the warmth of human companionship is absent, that pain and grief reaches their darkest point. I wonder if this has been your experience, whether recently or in the past. And this weariness and this physical fatigue that we feel in our bodies, <laughs> we just drag ourselves through the next day, don't we? Hoping that maybe the next night things will be a little better. I'll get a better night's sleep. And yet this physical fatigue and this weakness that comes from our grief often makes us too tired to even get out of bed in the first place. Too exhausted to get the kids to school and the next activity that they have in the afternoon. For me, too exhausted to take the car to get it checked, the check engine light checked. It's just one other thing that I just don't have the energy for. Too weary to engage in a conversation with my spouse or with our kids. Too depressed to go to church and be with others who seem like they have it all together. David in the psalm here gives us this image that grief is not just some mental thing that's up in our head, but it's something that sinks into our whole person. And David gives us language to pray to God to meet us in our grief, to meet us in our weariness. One last thing as we consider this grief here, as we are honest and acknowledge this grief, our weariness, our pain, our suffering, it actually opens us up to see the grief of others. As we acknowledge it with God and with others, we begin to see with new eyes, even in the midst of our weariness and our pain and our loss, the pain and the experience of others. The psalm is not just a lament to God to, that he would hear our prayers, but the psalm invites us to see the pain and the grief of others and their weariness. So if the lament, the psalm, invites us to acknowledge our distress and our suffering, to acknowledge our grief and our weariness. It also invites us to ask for our distress to end, to ask for it to end. Now, maybe that makes sense, but I, I want us to consider some of the imperatives in verses 1 through 5. I'm just going to read them off real quick. They say, Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, for I am languishing. Heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. Turn, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. The word ask might be a little too weak. The laments invite us to demand that God would bring an end to our distress, that God would act in our world and in our lives, that God would meet us in our grief, if any of you have grown up in the church at all in any way, or just even in Christian circles, this, this psalm like ours this morning might sound a little off to our sensibilities. Should we be making demands of God? Isn't God the one who has the authority to make a demand on my life? 
Yes, of course, we are to live in humble obedience before our God and to trust in him. And yes, we should live with a level of contentment knowing that God has placed us in certain places, and it's actually for our good. But, and this is a big but, this does not mean that we just sit back and let life roll over us. This psalm does not invite that. This psalm does not invite us to just passively and quietly allow the grief and our suffering and our pain just to run us over. This psalm allows us to pray to God boldly and confidently. In verse 4, we're actually given the basis for this demand, this reality. It says, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Our demand, our ask of God is not based upon the number, the amount of suffering that I'm in. It's not based upon how well I have my life together. It's not based upon my social status, my economic status, even the sort of Christian that I am. No, it's based upon God's covenantal faithfulness, his commitment to you and to me. And we need that, don't we? Because if our grief really overwhelms us as it does, and it weighs us down, this basis for asking God has to come from outside of ourselves. This basis does not stem from the sort of person that I am, but it stems from who God is, that God is abundant and his love is overwhelming. And I think part of the reason why it's difficult for us to ask or to demand that God would act is because sometimes the way that we communicate with God, we communicate with him a way in which we kind of view him as small. I want to just let God answer these small prayers. Or we believe that we are small, and does God even really care? And yet our psalm invites us to push back against this reality that God is small or that we are small, but that God sees us, and he invites us to risk everything to bring before our laments, our vulnerable prayers. And it is a risk because there is a possibility that God will not act in the manner that we want on our timetable, but God will act. So I ask, I invite us this morning to think, what demand, what ask do you need to bring before God this morning? It's easy to kind of just try to hide our suffering from God or from others to put on a brave face, to just say, I'm fine, I'm okay. I'm a, I do that a lot. I'm fine, I'm okay. It seems easier just to suck it up and hope for small changes to happen in my life rather than believing that God's grace and goodness can move in a meaningful and powerful way. And that is what our laments invite us to do. So they invite us to acknowledge our distress. They invite us to demand, to ask God to end it. And lastly, to close our time. The laments invite us to trust God will answer our cry, that he will hear our prayers. 
Laments are not just expressing our grief. They're not just ways to acknowledge our common shared human experience, although that's wonderful. Laments are not just ways to demand that God is to act. This prayer is a prayer of hope. Laments are ultimately an act of hope. We do not just blindly wish things to be better and we just send some positive energy out into the universe around us. No, we have a hope that is real. The psalm is strange. Most of the psalm describes distress and anguish and demands. And yet our psalm invites us to see that God has heard David's prayer. It says that the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. God has made himself known to David, and David acknowledges that God has heard his prayer. So one of the pressing questions for us this morning is, does God actually hear my prayer? Does God actually hear us? Maybe that's David's experience, but is that my experience? How do I actually know that God hears? Throughout Scripture, we've seen time and time again God responding to the cries of his people. Whether when they were in slavery in Egypt, or when they were languishing under oppressive rulers, whether political or spiritual, God time and time again responded and heeded their call. And yet, there's a way in which God hears our prayers that not even David fully knew when he wrote this psalm. The way that we can know that God hears our prayers is because of his son, Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, became human. In Hebrews, we hear that he identified with us and that he prays for us that God lived and entered into our suffering. That as we heard from our reading from John 12, Jesus himself, using the language of the psalm, describes his soul as an anguish, feeling the grief of the world that he sees before him, and the grief of knowing that of what he's about to enter into, death itself. Jesus' bones were troubled, Jesus felt and knew the depth of human languishing. God heard the prayers of Jesus, though. He heard Jesus' prayers upon the cross. He heard Jesus' prayers in the garden. And ultimately, we see that Jesus lives, that he's risen, that he is our living hope. And it is a profound mystery. But because of our connection to Jesus, because of our union with him. Because God heard Jesus' prayers, he hears our prayers. He, he sees our grief. He sees our longings. It is dangerous to look at our circumstances and to think that maybe God doesn't care. And that is a real feeling, and that is real but it often leads us into isolation and trouble and feeling a sense of shame. I should not feel this way. I should not feel depressed. I should not feel anxious. Something is my fault in this. 
And yet what God is inviting us to see is that part of the way of faith is to follow him in those places. I want us to take us back to the ICU room for one moment. I, I don't remember what I said to this gentleman in our conversation. I remember more the questions and the pain and the grief than anything of words of comfort that I said to him. But I do remember that we prayed together and I do remember that we read the Psalms together, including actually this one. Both of us learned that night to grieve with each other and to grieve with God, to lament. And no, we didn't do it perfectly, but we entered into it to draw near to our questions and our doubts, our sorrows and our griefs, that God would be gracious and that God would hear our grief and see our pain. Psalm 6 invites us into this posture. The psalm opens with troubles and our felt experience of isolation. And as we embrace these words and allow them to sink into our bones, this school of prayer, this psalm, we see that they're not just magic words that produce or manipulate God to act on our behalf but rather we pray these prayers so that we might be transformed, so that God might transform us into a people of both grief, who can hold our own grief and hold the grief of others, but also a people of hope, a people who know that their prayers are heard because their Savior's prayers have been heard. And because he lives, we know that our prayers are brought before our God. Let me pray. Gracious, merciful God, Lord, we thank you for Psalm 6. Lord, we ask that you would draw near to each of us here, however we come. We ask that you would draw near and help us acknowledge our distress, our suffering, our pain, that you would give us boldness to ask prayers that we have never thought that we could ask and to trust and know that you do hear them and draw our eyes to Christ. We pray this in his holy name, amen. Will you stand with us, please?
Eternal God, we praise you for your everlasting goodness towards your people, for what do we have that is not a gift from you. And now we join with your people on earth and all the company in heaven in the unending hymn. seated. Well, this table, Christ's table, is a table of celebration of what God has accomplished in our lives and the world around us to defeat sin and death, 
to call us to himself. And it might be tempting to think, to come to this table, I have to be in that state, that joyous state. Or I have to be confident that I am the one that I can make myself better. And yet the table and the elements of the table reflect something completely different. They reflect a God who has descended to us into our grief. Is a table for those who do grieve, who know their brokenness, who know their failings, and know their need for forgiveness and grace. If that describes you, this is a table for you. Come, eat, drink, and be filled by God's Spirit, by Christ. As we gather here, we proclaim and we see with the bread and the wine that God has heard our prayers in Christ Jesus. Let me pray over these elements for us now. Gracious, merciful God, Lord, we ask that you would use this bread and this wine to build us up, to nourish our souls, to meet us in our grief and our pain and our loss, and to remind us that you are the God of, and you sent your son, the man of sorrows, to bear us up, to strengthen our knees, to stand us up on our feet, and to restore us to life. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, as Christ ate with his disciples uh, in the upper room, Christ took the bread, and giving thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And likewise, Christ took the cup, saying, as often as you drink this cup, you drink the cup of the new covenant, the covenant for the forgiveness of sins. For as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim that Christ has died, that he is risen, and that he will return again. At this time, I'll invite the servers to come up as they're coming up. We invite you all to come down the aisles and take communion. Uh, they're in cups. We have a few. Um, no, we don't. Never mind. Uh, uh, we have the bread on the trays and the wine and juice in uh, our grape juice trays. Um, as you come up, if you do not want to receive communion at this time, uh, punch your hand across uh, your chest, and one of us will give a, a prayer of blessing for you.
the body of Christ broken for you, take and eat. The blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of all of our sins, take and drink. Well, as we continue with our time together, will you please stand and we'll respond to the table through prayer and song. Lord Jesus, you are our salvation and our hope. You save the humble but bring low the proud, and your loving kindness is our refuge. Help us to trust you in all of our circumstances as we proclaim the mystery of faith. confess together our faith with these words that come from 1 Corinthians 15. Let us declare our faith in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised to life on the third day in accordance with scriptures. Afterwards, he appeared to his followers and to all the apostles. This we have received and this we believe. Amen. You may be seated at this time. I'll invite our ushers to come forward uh, with our offering trays. Just a reminder, um, part of our worship is this, this reality that we are not our own, that God has made us, that he has given to us and blessed us. And so we respond uh, generously as we can through giving. So feel free to leave something in the offering plates or you can give um, uh, virtually, and the instructions are there uh, for your own uh, reading. While I have you, <laughs> um, I forgot to announce we're going to continue to celebrate Colum uh, with a cake reception after the church uh, service. So it's just our regular fellowship time, so if you just follow the alleyway back towards the school's playground, uh, you will see uh, the cake reception all set up. We have a cake for Colum and, and uh, lemonade and water, so please feel free. Come grab some cake. Uh, congratulate Colum. Colum, don't run off yet. I know you got to go. I know you got to go do uh, uh, lifeguarding, uh, but stick around and enjoy some cake together. Let us uh, respond together with the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings
As we go from this place, as Christ sends us out to our families, our friends, our workplace, receive this blessing from Christ Jesus, our Lord. May God the Father, whose love is abounding, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit surround you in the midst of your grief and your sorrow and your pain, knowing that he hears your weeping and your prayer. In Christ's holy name, amen. Go in the peace of Christ.